something's wrong, something's wrong. You know, my mom messaged me every day and she wasn't messaging. I was calling. And then I was like, when have you seen mom? When have you seen my mom? Everybody get over there. And she did. She had passed away peacefully in her sleep, in her chair. It's it's actually, this was the third significant loss in 14 months. But in between that, I had lost friends, friends, children. Um, So there were several losses in between that. Welcome to Flip Your Mindset, a podcast designed to guide you on your healing journey back to self. I'm your host, Stacey Urig. We're all about mental health and understanding how our past experiences shape our present day lives. Join me as we unravel the impact of unresolved traumas, share stories of triumph, and gain insights from experts. This podcast is your laid-back space for navigating the twists and turns of your mental health journey. So grab a seat, let's chat, learn, grow, and start our journey towards healing together. Ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome back. I'm your host, Stacey Yurig, and today's guest is Lisa Haycock. And I just am so happy to have Lisa here today because, first of all, her energy is amazing. For those of you that are going to watch this on YouTube, you'll see she just has a great vibe, and you're going to get that through the podcast as well. I asked Lisa to come on because she is an international certified an accredited life coach, but she specializes in grief and she's a certified grief educator. And I think what I've been finding lately on the podcast is I've been having a couple of different people who specialize in grief. And it's important to me because grief takes a lot of different forms and shows up in a lot of different ways. It doesn't necessarily have to be the death of a loved one. It can be the ending of a lot of different things for someone. And I think it's underrated and underestimated how those experiences impact people. So the more different types of people I can have coming on talking about grief, hopefully one of these will click with you and give you a deep understanding by maybe why you're stuck. She's also a keynote speaker and she has her own podcast called Because We Love. And that whole podcast is about finding meaning after loss. She's also an international best-selling author, and she's a breast cancer survivor. Talk about grief. So I want to explain to you some of this loss. After suffering a season of significant loss of loved ones through death, 12 loved ones died in 22 months, including her niece, her parents, and her 24-year-old son-in-law. And she had an amicable divorce. This is a lot. Lisa knew if she was going to survive both physically and mentally, she needed help. Seeking different modalities, she was able to create a life of purpose, and now she helps others do the same. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Hi, I'm good. It's good to see you again because you were on my show. So this is That's right. And I'm having like all kinds of technical tongue-tied today, but we'll get through it. I think I just need a glass (laughs) of water. So... Lisa, it is so good to have you here. Grief is such an expansive landscape. And I'm wondering if you can just kind of take us through some of the losses that you experienced or the landscape you had to learn how to navigate in those months that you're talking about. And what happened for you during that time and 
What did you learn about yourself? Yeah, you know, really, honestly, growing up, I didn't have a lot of loss. I mean, I lost a grandma, I lost an aunt, but it, I wasn't, it wasn't something that was, I, I wasn't used to that. You know, it wasn't like I had just built up a resilience because I had experienced so much loss. It happened in a very short period of time and very significant people in my life. So it started in 2018 when I lost my niece to a um, illness that she's had all of her life. Um, and then a week later, I got the call. Now I live in the UK. My family is in Seattle. So I get the dreaded call that my dad has brain cancer. And so that to me was like the, you know, everything, the world, it just like, it just kind of opened up and swallowed me whole. And so I ended up long story short, I ended up going there and caring for quitting my job and caring for my dad and my mom because my, they'd been married for 50 plus years. And so you're, what I found is you're the carer, right? Of the person who is ultimately, we know he is dying, but you're also carrying the grief of others around you. So you're carrying the grief of your children who are losing their grandfather. You're carrying the grief of your mom who's losing the love of her life. And you're also carrying your own grief. So it's just, it's a lot, but you know, I'm a very action oriented person. So it was like, right, what do we have to do, you know, to keep him comfortable and live the rest of his life that he has happy and um, full of love. And so I did that. And we buried my dad um, seven months later. And then I came back to the UK. My mom had come to visit several months later, um, and maybe about a year later. And it was weird having my mom come to the UK alone. You know, it was it was just really strange seeing her come off the plane by herself. She's, it's, they've always been together, right? It was, they were never separated. And so we had a great couple months together and then I gave her a hug and she was crying and I was holding back the tears and I was like, see you later. And then my mom left and that was the last time I hugged my mom because several months later she passed away in her sleep. And it, you know, it was that, and I'm the one 4,000 miles away. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. You know, my mom messaged me every day and she wasn't messaging. I was calling. And then I was like, when have you seen mom? When have you seen my mom? Everybody get over there. And she did. She had passed away peacefully in her sleep, in her chair. And this and was now the third loss in what kind of time frame? Yeah, it's it's actually, it, this was the third significant loss in 14 months. But in between that, I had lost friends, friends' children. Um, so there were six, several losses in between that. Yeah. Um, and then I came home after burying my mom, um, you know, and going to the service and saying, Hey, love all of you people, but I'm really sick of seeing you. No offense. But I mean, I just buried my dad 14 months before. So it was like, right, I don't want to come back here. Um, and then two months after my mom died, my 24 year old son-in-law passed away from a fall in front of my daughter and his coworkers. And getting that call in the middle of the night is the thing that um, no parent ever wants or, you know, ever, ever should ever get a call. And it, it was the worst because 
he was my only son. I've known they were mm-hmm. together forever, but then I lost a part of my daughter too, because they were just absolute mm-hmm. soulmates, you know, and again, and then in between all of that, it's just losing friends and family, like I said. So within those 22 months is when I lost all those people. Now, how do you keep going with that? I mean, honestly, Stacey, it was just grab anything and everything to keep me moving forward. Or and what like, did that look like grabbing whatever you could? <laughs> Honestly, so the very first thing I did is because I am very pro therapy. I'm like, I need a bereavement counselor. Like that is the very first step that I took. And it was about, to be fair, it was a it was about um a month after my mom, but it was before my my son-in-law Jack died. So it was still over a good year, 14, 15 months after my dad. So it took time for me to go, right, I need help. And it was after my mom died that I was like, oh my God. So that was the first, one of the very first things I did. But then I grabbed other modalities. You know, I went to sound bath healing. So, you know, I kind of went down woo woo a bit, um, saw a medium and I started doing yoga. And I, I did as many things as I possibly felt like I could at that time. And can I ask you a question? What were you trying to accomplish by doing each one of these things? What was it that you were trying to move through? And I want to get really discreet on this, that you were seeking out yoga and sound baths and some of these other modalities. Right. Well, I knew enough about trauma in the work that I did in the States and grief work that I did in the States. And I know it sits in your body. Right. And so what I was trying to do was get it out of me. I just wanted to get it out of me. So I, I had enough knowledge to go, I need to do something. I don't know exactly what, because I've never experienced all this horrible shit, but I knew I needed to get it out of me. So that was one of the things that I was really trying to do. And then the other was calming my nervous system because I was, you know, I could feel it in energy in my body. Um, And then I remember saying to the therapist, I'm like, I don't want to go crazy. And she goes, well, what does that look like for you? And I said, like in a corner not being able to get out, like in fetal that's position. That's kind of what I want to talk about. Like, I, yeah. I really love getting as discreet as I can on the podcast. So in my mind, I'm like, well, let's talk about what gets somebody in the corner, right? What's gets, what gets somebody underneath the table with a bottle? Like what yeah. gets somebody into the fetal position in a corner is for some people, it is, I think, this energetic disconnect of energy between the person, right? I think for some people, it is a complete hijacking of the vagus nervous system and your autonomic nervous system where, you know, your stomach is a mess, your pal- your heart's palpitating, you're having, you know, this rumbling in your chest or this heaviness in the chest that we all label anxiety and panic. For some people, when they can't get out of that state, then they drop down into what's called a dorsal vagal state, right? When we're seeing things like fatigue and lethargy and lack of motivation and lack of desire, which really can be labeled as depression. So, you know, there are a lot of people that are trying to, I'm going to put in quotes, run away from these sensations or these experiences. So what, 
what was it that you were experiencing somatically that you were like, yeah. I just want to got to, I got to find a way to get rid of this. Yeah. I mean, I did feel it in my body. Obviously lack of sleep was one of them. So you can either sleep a lot or not at all. And I was having that um, lack of sleep mm. when the phone would ring that was it. I was in it. I was in that panic trauma state because when the phone rang for those two years, it was always hideous. And so that was a big thing for me. It's a really good thing to talk about because, you know, call it whatever you want. I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose anything, but it sounds very PTSD-like in the sense where like, something's happening and it's, you know, we call it a trigger, but really what's happening is immediately you have a thought of, here we go again. Yep. Someone's going to have died. Your mind and your body are so deeply connected that now it's an, uh, an alarm of emergency and threat to connection mm-hmm. and also emergency and threat of, we're going to feel a lot of discomfort again. And so it starts to engage And now you're just back into that. And I've had that. I still suffer from that in a very particular, very acute situation where if I see a particular email from a particular organization, it's like a match is struck inside my system. And it's like a zing or like a lightning bolt that goes... And all of a sudden, my entire vagus nerve is shut. My stomach gets very weak and rumbly. My chest starts to go. I start to perspire. The moment I see an email from just one organization, because I had such a contentious situation with them for so many years. So that's such a real thing. And there are ways in order to lessen that, lessen the intensity, the frequency, the duration, maybe not have that response. So what were you able to do for yourself to try to mitigate the responses that your body was having to anything that could trigger it based on these experiences? Yeah. So for me, there was a lot of practice. So I, you know, it, it I don't, I, I don't like using the word triggering, but activating. So it was very uh-huh. activating for me. Like, bam, I was in it. So a lot of practice actually took and a lot of repetition. So I would actually have people call me oh, and, and then, and then I would know, Hey, Hey. And Cause my therapist was like, listen, the, the reason why you're doing it is because every time the phone rang, it was always, so this isn't made up. This is reality. This really happened to you. So now we need to disrupt and interrupt that thought, that thinking, mm-hmm. that thought process. I was in a loop. So I knew enough. I needed to disrupt this. So the way I did it, honestly, was practice. That was just one of the things that I did. And people would call me. I'd have my girls call me and just, hey, how's it going? How's it going? But if anybody called me and was kind of had that that voice, that I went, what's the matter? What's the matter? And over mm-hmm. a period of time, it has just lessened because I, I'm not actually receiving those calls. So it doesn't take me into that activated state. So that was just one of the things I did. I'd like to like sit on that for a second, though, because I think it's powerful because it's simple, but it's profound. You know, I always tell people the goal of working with a coach or working with a therapist or 
who whoever you're working with to try to heal whatever wound you have, the goal is to never be activated to your point. The goal is to not, you know, peace does not mean the shit doesn't hit the fan. Peace does not mean that you get yourself into a box and can't be activated. Peace means that when the situation occurs that normally activates me, that my response will be diminished. Right. So what does that look like? That means if the intensity is normally a 10 out of 10, we're looking for something much lower than that. If it normally would last a really long time, we're trying to shorten that duration. If it happened every single time somebody called, we want to happen not every single time. Right. And you're really retraining and reprogramming your mind and your body's response to a fear of threat. It is a brilliant, brilliant practice that you came up with. Um, And I I hope that somebody that's listening that maybe has been having a similar activation or a similar response or a similar trigger can take that as a good tip is really smart. Yeah. I mean, I think it is literally about practice. Like you said, retraining your brain, retraining the body's response to, oh my God, someone's died. You know, there's something horrible on the other line, you know? And I think that that's the point because people need to understand there is a linear system that happens, right? So the circle, it's, a very typical coaching model. It's called circumstance, thoughts, feelings, actions, outcomes, right? And there's this little sliver that's never really talked about, but it's, I think, the most profound part, which is between circumstance and thought, which is the beliefs, right? It's a whole layer. It's like this myelin sheath. It's invisible, but it affects everything. So circumstances, the phone rings for you. For me, it's the circumstance of, I see an email in my inbox from a particular organization. I mean, even just hearing the phone ring or seeing the email starts to activate, Mm -hmm. right? And the belief, your thought can never come from anything other than a belief. So in a split second, a belief gets engaged. And for you, perhaps that belief is when my phone rings, something traumatic is going to be shared with me. For me, it's when I see that person has emailed me or that organization has emailed me, they're about to shame me, right? I'm about to be shamed. It's just, but it's not necessarily a truth. It's just a belief. And now your thought is, this is not going to be good. My thought is, this is not going to be good. And the feeling is panic and fear and worry and concern and helplessness and powerlessness in like a split second. The reaction is our vagus nerve gets hijacked and now we're having this panic attack and the outcome is how we're going to receive. We're going to be cautious to answer the phone. We're going to be cautious to open that email. Maybe we don't answer the phone. Maybe we don't open that email, right? And I just said to my husband like two days ago, I said, guess what? He goes, what? I said, I opened the email. Now, these are not emails I can ignore because sometimes I don't open them. And sometimes we're both on it. And I say, you just, you have to look at that. I'm not doing it this time. But I said, I opened the email and guess what? He's like, what? I'm like, I didn't even have a response in my system. And that feels like empowerment. 
Yes. And that's when you know that there's this healing, there's this strength, there's this resilience, like whatever you're doing is working because right. that's the evidence. And that's how I felt. It was like, oh my God. Okay. This evidence now, every time I answer the phone, it's not all traumatic. Okay. There's right. evidence that actually remember Lisa before 2018, you answered the phone and it wasn't the problem. So like it almost it like just again, re, like you said, reprograms, but then my whole system, my brain, my thoughts, my feelings, everything followed to, okay, we're good. We're safe. This is okay. We're, you're safe here. And I think that that's the language that's so important because I know what I ended up doing, and it sounds like you did something similar, is you, in your case, you could kind of have people calling you. And no, it wasn't going to be bad, right? I didn't have that kind of ability on my end. But when I would get an email from this organization and it wasn't something that was shaming me or making me feel that particular way, I would then say to myself, that was a pleasant email. Not every single email that comes from this kind of organization has to be bad. Good communication is available to me. And I would keep telling myself, because remember, the core belief was they're going to do something to make me feel bad. And I had to start to reframe that core belief. And I would say things to myself in my head, like good communication from these organizations are available to me. Good communications are available to me. And I think there's a little bit of like law of attraction in there too. Yes, that's right. I think that in the energy that goes out, because that's, that's what you have to do, right? Like, I would just be like, I'm safe. I'm safe. Everyone's well, that's safe. Right. <laughs> and just and keep that's what people that. need to understand. When, when I talk about a vagus nerve, there's a nerve that goes all throughout your body. It wanders. That's why it's called vagus. It goes from the base of your skull down around through the front of your throat down into your chest, into all of your organs, in your abdomen, into your gut, around your heart, through your lungs. And when there's fear of a threat, it will activate because its job is to keep you alive. So we need to make sure your heart is pumping and we need to make sure all these things are going, but like at rapid fire, because you might have to run from a bear. So that's what it feels like in your system. But when you don't have to run from a bear and it's just a phone call or it's just an email, it's going to jack you up. It's like seeing somebody that you know, you know, in the past might have not been safe. Whatever it is, you know when you're getting activated to your point. So that idea of telling yourself, I'm safe, I'm safe, is a way of toning that amygdala response, which is your alarm system in the back of your brain of you don't need to activate. This is okay. I'm safe. And this gives you that agency and empowerment over the reactions that your nervous system is having that we then label as stress, anxiety, you know, panic, overwhelm, like we give it that story. And then as soon as we give it a story, it's like a spiral. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I love where this is going. And what I really want to learn now more about is your particular grief education 
and you know the method that you take people through. I'm going to stop the podcast at this point because I want to give everybody a little bit of a breather. And really, now we've kind of like set the landscape of why you even got into this particular space to begin with or what makes you good at it. Um, and what I want to tell everybody is we're going to have a part two with Lisa. If you've enjoyed this, if this has spoken to you, if you get activated easily, if you find yourself triggered, even if it's not within a grief situation, but you can relate to her story that came to her by way of a lot of grief, you're not going to want to miss part two, because that's where we're really going to start to talk about how she helps people get through this type of experience. If you enjoy this, you're going to want to look for part two. The no, the link for it will be in the show notes. And I want to thank everybody for joining us and we'll see you guys soon. Thank you so much for joining me on this latest episode of Flip Your Mindset. I hope you found these insights on trauma and mental health valuable. Remember, your journey begins with understanding. It begins with radical awareness, and I'm happy to support you every step of the way. For more in-depth discussions, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can receive weekly notifications when new episodes drop. Remember, stay strong, stay resilient. Remember that healing is possible. Thank you for being a part of the Flip Your Mindset community. Until next time.